Right. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, good morning again. Good morning. Um, when technology misbehaves and disturbs our worship, always remember Brother Kakoma's words the devil is a liar. Right, Odagachusha um, uh, made mention of some people that have come with uh, letters of commendation, and uh, among those, there's uh, um, a letter for Sister Hope Chimimba. Uh, she's in our midst, and uh, I just uh, thought I would mention that name because uh, he mentioned letters, and that letter came in this morning. Now, um, we, we have a number of visitors, as you have noted, um, in our midst, and we, uh, as mentioned earlier, we are inviting all members uh, to be part of the welcoming uh, team to the visitors this morning. And may I extend that to say that, uh, please, members, open your homes this afternoon uh, to one or two visitors that are among us um, uh, so that uh, we can get to know a bit more uh, uh, about these uh, visitors uh, this, uh, this morning. Uh, now, in, in view of that and the large number of members that we have and the desire to spend ample time uh, with our visitors and quality time, uh, it is a suggestion that is coming forth that we reschedule uh, our Holy Communion to next Sunday uh, because uh, after that we need to have this communication meeting uh, to the members. So please bear with us. Uh, that we reschedule uh, the Holy Communion uh, to next Lord's Day. Uh, and also, please, again, an appeal. Members, please open your homes uh, to the visitors uh, 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 this, this morning. And just to, again to extend an invitation to all the uh, young people at CBU, on Thursday we have uh, a Bible study, a Bible study at the home of the Kangas, uh, please, uh, Manasseh, kindly uh, get the details of the young people and let us link with them on Thursday that we can be together at the Bible study. All right, uh, uh, having said that, uh, please uh, turn with me to Matthew and chapter 2. Matthew and chapter 2. We, in this month of December, wish to focus our attention um, to the Christ, focus our attention to the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are looking at a broader theme that we would call occurrences not to ignore with regards to the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 6, uh, but before we uh, read and seek to make some uh, comments on this particular passage, can I invite us to this just into the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we are grateful that we have opportunity once again to, to meet and to worship you, and thank you for having given us the voices that we've been able to raise to you this morning. May you be pleased to accept that feeble praise that we have brought before you. And as we turn to your word, Lord, we ask that you will be gracious to speak to each one of us and meet us at our various points of need. Uh, speak to both the, the speaker and the hearer. Grant me clarity of thought and speech as I bring your way to your people. And ultimately, may you be honored and be glorified in all our lives. We pray this in our Savior's name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Matthew 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. And so they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Let me read uh, further. Uh, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, Bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. The story of Matthew 2 and verse 1 to 6 is a familiar story about the so-called wise men or also in you have some, uh, some Bibles translated as the, the Magi, with Magi or Magi. Uh, allow me to simply call them the wise men. Familiar Bible story that most of us have seen being played out in sketches during Christmas. 
played out in the so-called nativity plays. But it's a text that brings us face to face with the reaction or the response that different people had when the truth of the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, came to them. And in a sense, we, we see some kind of a mixed reactions, mixed responses given to us in this particular text. And in my discourse this morning, I would wish to look at at least three different responses, three types of people or three groups of people and look at how they responded to the coming into this world of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so my title for my message this morning is simply this, Lessons from Three Responses to the Birth of Our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to straight away get us to look at the first response and it's a response that was from the wise men, a response from the Magi or the Magi. And we read in the latter part of verse number two, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? It's a response from this group of people. And obviously, uh, we are right away told that these are men, so they are wise men. Uh, I want to believe that uh, it's possible, maybe there could have been some women, but uh, we, won't, we won't speculate. They were wise men, um, and men, a group of men, about whom not much is known very little known about them. But it's, it's, it's a group of people that, in a way, are, are seeking the truth, seeking Christ. And it's a story also which we only find in Matthew and in the first 12 verses of Matthew. So they appear in Matthew and chapter 1 and they disappear in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 12 or rather chapter 2 not chapter 1 sorry they appear in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1 and disappear they fizzle out as it were in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 2 and they leave behind a lot of questions, a lot of unanswered questions. Who, who are these people? Yes, we're told they're wise men, but who really are they? And where did, did they come from? Of course, uh, we're only told that they came from the east, okay? uh, supposedly east of Jerusalem, and uh, that uh, takes us to uh, perhaps uh, in, in, in 
Babylon or Persia, uh, places that are modern day uh, Iraq or Iran. How many were they? We are not told. Okay? We have nativity plays and uh, the old nativity plays will have three people playing the role of the, these wise people uh, and the tradition uh, has this concept that there were three people but actually the Bible doesn't tell us how many they were. What is the star they saw and, and how did it lead them from wherever they were into Jerusalem and ultimately into Bethlehem? How long after the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, did they actually arrive? Was it a few hours after, a few days, a few weeks, a few months, a few years? We don't know. Scripture is silent concerning those kind of details. How did, how did they know that the baby was going? to be king of the Jews. Because they say very clearly here, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? How did they know that this baby is actually the king of the Jews? Could it be that they had some information from some of the Jews that have been taken into captivity into Babylon and uh, they had talked about this Messiah who will be born king of the Jews. We don't know. Scripture is silent. Or maybe because of the kind of people that they were, yes, we don't know much about them, but history has it that these were learned people, very, very learned in various disciplines, disciplines of medicine, uh, history, religion, even prophecy, uh, learned in astronomy, astronomy and astrology. Now, astronomy is simply the science of the study of the stars, and uh, astrology deals with the belief that there's a connection between the celestial bodies, celestial bodies including the moons and the stars, and also uh, the destiny of human beings. So these, these people, uh, perhaps uh, in, their, in their study, again, scripture silent about that particular aspect but we learn that from history that these were brilliant learned people and perhaps because of that they had this information that this star this particular star when it appears it is saying something and this is what it is saying that there is a new born king in Bethlehem of Judea. But really, a big point is that, yes, we don't know much about these people, but what should concern us is the rich spiritual instruction that their story tells, the rich spiritual instruction that we can derive out of this group of people, and indeed, uh, the other things that come up in a particular passage of scripture this morning. Here men, supposedly very, very learned, very wise, wise in earthly and worldly things, 
and yet are made in a way wise unto salvation. Landed men who, uh, in a way, as, as I shall hint to that, non-Jews, Gentiles, non-worshippers, yet they are made wise unto salvation in the sense that they are here in Jerusalem at this particular point of time after the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are seeking to see him, to present gifts to him, and to worship him. That's one thing about these people. But I think of particular significance is, is, the, is what we can, we can look at as their spiritual diligence. Have alluded to the fact that, and indeed the scripture does point to this, that we only thought they came from the east. And have also alluded to the fact that this east is possibly Babylon or today's Iraq or Iran, Babylon or Persia. And that place is not a place that is fairly close to Jerusalem. We will later on notice that Bethlehem is actually very, very close to Bethlehem. But where these people are coming from is, is, is quite a distance from Jerusalem. And if we are talking about a journey from, from Baghdad, and Baghdad is in, is, is in, is in Iran, Iran, eh? Iran, Iraq, it is in Iraq, yes. Babylon is in Iraq. If we talk about a journey from, uh, excuse me, not Babylon, Baghdad. <laughs> if we're talking about a journey from Baghdad in Iraq to Jerusalem in Israel, we're talking about a distance of not less than a thousand kilometers. Okay? And so we, we get an inference from that kind of a picture that these people traveled a very, very long distance. It's a distance, if I can put it in the context of Zambia, it's a distance that is further than the distance between Kitwe and Nakonde. Kitwe and Nakonde is just about 900 kilometers. And we are talking here about a thousand, more than a thousand kilometers that these people traveled to go to Jerusalem. And bear in mind also that their journey was mostly by animals or camels and by foot. And those days, they, there, was no, there wasn't the luxury that we have, the luxury of, of aeroplanes, the luxury of buses, the luxury of, of taxis and, 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 and trams in developed countries. They journeyed on foot, on, on animals, over this long, long journey. It was a long and most likely a very difficult and dangerous journey. And what we see from what I'm trying to drive home is, 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 is the great determination, the great determination in these people, so-called wise men. Determination to travel those weary miles from their homes to the place where the Lord Jesus Christ 
was born. None of the foreseen and foreseen, the unforeseen and foreseen difficulties hindered them, hindered their determination to travel to Bethlehem. They had set their hearts on seeing him who was born king of the Jews. And they never rested until they set their eyes on him and worshipped him. What determination. What zeal. What diligence. And thinking about this, just thinking about the Christian here at Riverside Chapel, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, that the Christian at Riverside Chapel would follow the wise man's example, would follow them the example in determination, the example in zeal, the example in perseverance, the example in diligence to seek after Christ. to seek after the worship of our King, even the Lord Jesus Christ. All that will not be full of excuses in the pursuit of Christ and his honor. But apart from what we see as, as their great spiritual diligence, we also see, see their example of faith, in a sense, very, very well connected uh, to the earlier point of diligence. The example of faith. Now these, these are people, like I've hinted to, that were non-Jews. They were Gentiles. But possibly, possibly non-worshippers, uh, engrossed as it were in, in their normal life, in, in their study of the various disciplines in which they were geniuses at. But they were drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ at his birth. That seeing his star, a star most probably they had learned about, and when they saw it, they were convinced, convinced beyond reasonable doubt. They had faith that that star if they follow that star, it will take them to the savior of the world. It will take them to the king, the newborn king in Bethlehem of Judea. And we think with nothing more than that conviction, that faith as it were, they risked everything that they had, they risked the comforts of their homes, left their homeland, to find the baby whom they believed was connected to that particular star and to go and worship him. And they were so convinced that they took with them very, very expensive gifts to go and present to this king and to honor him and to worship him as a king that had come into this world to rule over Israel. 
want to propose, dear friends, that this is a great example of true faith in the scriptures. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says this about faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. They did not know much about this newborn king. Oh, they knew that this indeed a newborn king, and convinced with that by faith, they were spurred into action to go and worship him. In a way, they, they believed in Christ when they had never seen him. They believed in him when, as we read in the passage of our day today, they believed him when the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, were in a sense casual about this particular truth. When these people were unbelieving, they believed in the king born as a baby whom they had not seen. And we read further when they saw him, when they saw this baby, when they saw this infant, they in a sense believed they saw the king that has come to rule over Israel. And because they saw this king, they bowed before him, knelt before him, worshipped him. The crowning, as it were, of their faith, the worship of the king of the Jews, the king of Israel, our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I put it to us that this is the kind of faith that, that God desires, the kind of faith that God delights to honor. Assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. And all that we would as believers walk the steps of the faith of these wise people. That we would not be ashamed of our belief in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We would not be ashamed to proclaim this Jesus as the Savior of the world. Even when we are surrounded by so many unbelieving people around us. But secondly, my main point, as we get away from the wise men, we get to the response by King Herod. And we notice uh, in verse number three, a kind of stressful response by King Herod. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. I was reading some translation of the word troubled. Uh, some commentators would say that he was basically shaken, shaken by the news. Here's a man who is deeply troubled as my first 
point and at the second major point, deeply troubled by the news that there is a king of the Jews who has been born. History has it that this man at this particular time had been in power for, for more than 40 years. And so he was, he was fairly an old, old man. But through his reign as king, as King Herod, he, he had, as it were, proved to be a fairly clever, but also a very cruel king, a very cruel man. He, he was essentially a, a, kind of, a kind of a dictator. And like all dictators, he held very, very tightly to his power and his reign. And in, in, in holding tightly to his reign and power, he ensured that he brutally eliminated anybody that was a threat to his throne. Anyone who got in his way, anyone who was a threat to his throne, brutally eliminated. And it is said that over the years, he killed many, many people and among the people that he killed included a brother-in-law, his mother-in-law, and even his wife. And all these were seen to be a threat to his throne. And so when this news that a king of the Jews has been born, not very far from where he was, you can imagine the kind of response that he had. The Bible says he was troubled. The news was a big threat to him, big threat to his throne. The man was troubled. You can imagine again being troubled by, by a helpless baby, eh? Just because they say that this is the king, uh, baby king, deeply troubled. This was good news. The good news of the coming into the world of the savior of the world. King over God's people. A king who would save his people from sin. And that good news troubled King Herod. Troubled because he feared he was going to lose his throne and his power. Troubled, but he would, this child would take, as it were, take possession of his earthly throne and because of that, he trembled, trembled greatly, and was troubled. But not only him, not only do we learn that it's just Herod who was troubled by the news, the Bible tells us that all Jerusalem with him was troubled.
And the reason why even the rest of Jerusalem was troubled is not given to us again in the scriptures, but we would, would infer that it is probably because they, they, they thought that there would be some kind of some kind of commotion in Israel, some kind of contention between Herod and this new king that has been born. If there was a new king that has been born, it's likely to be a fight between Herod, installed by the Roman government, ruling over Jerusalem and the Jews, and this new king that has been born as king of the Jews. And that fight obviously spells trouble, spells problems, spells a lot of challenges amongst the people of Israel. And so inevitably, the people of Jerusalem are troubled together with Herod. Troubled at the good news the news of the savior of the world. What do we see here? What do we learn here? It is this, that when some people hear the good news, when some people hear the gospel, the gospel is simply the good news about our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When they hear the gospel and they realize that it has power to change their appetite for world pleasures. It has power to transform them from worldliness, as it were, to a different life. They get troubled. They get offended by the gospel. And because they are troubled and because they are offended, they vehemently find ways and means to oppose Christ, to oppose the gospel and the salvation that comes with that. Many are troubled by the gospel because it interferes with their sin. It interferes with their sinful life. If I become a Christian, I won't enjoy this way of life I'm enjoying now, they would say. And so, please, I'm not ready for your gospel. Take it away. Maybe my neighbor next door. I'm sure I won't be far from the truth if I said that in many cases that the core of rejecting the gospel of Christ is some sinful pleasure that someone wants to cling onto. And the human heart, which is desperately wicked, will do everything to resist giving up. Will do everything to resist giving up a darling sin. And the heart that is desperately wicked gets troubled when Christ comes near. Just like Herod was troubled when Christ came near to him. 
Question is, would you rather cling to your sin and go to hell? Would you rather do that? Would you rather wallow in your sin and sinfulness and end up in eternal fires in hell? Or would you instead have your sins forgiven and be assured of eternal reign with Christ in glory and be assured of being the presence of, of heaven and we have had many lessons in the past five Sundays about heaven would you rather continue seeking your own ways clinging to your own ways your sinful ways than be in that place with golden streets a place where no pain will be no suffering, no tears friends I know that some people and I shudder that they want to cling to both to both paths they want both ways. They want it both ways. They want Christ on one hand and the world on the other hand. Continue on that path, you end up in eternal fires in hell. The wise man brought the best news that ever was told. And yet, this best news troubled the king and many other people. Does the gospel trouble you? Are you troubled by the gospel? And why should, be, why should you be troubled by the good news? Why should you be troubled by a life-changing message? Life-changing not for the worst or for the bad and the worst, but for good. Why should, be, should you be troubled by infinite mercy? Why should you be troubled by, by almighty love, everlasting love? Oh, my prayer this morning is that this, if you are troubled by the gospel, this trouble may lead you to repentance and faith in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me hurry on to look at my third and last point. Calling this simply the scholarly response of the religious leaders. And we, we see uh, a response, a very, very uh, knowledgeable, accurate response from this group of people called scribes and Pharisees, or simply, I'm calling them simply religious leaders. So they said to him, verse number five, in Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written, and they caught the prophet, and these are words that we find in Micah and chapter five and verse number two, that the Savior, simply put, the Savior will be born in Bethlehem. And this is a man Oh, this is a person that will be a ruler over God's people 
a person who shepherd God's people, Israel. And so, a couple of points concerning the response of the religious people or the religious leaders. And one of the things that we need to take note of is that these, these are knowledgeable people and yet they don't respond in the right way. Knowledgeable yet don't respond rightly. One of the things that you note about the question and the answer, the question by King Herod and the answer provided is that when the question is posed before these people, they, as it were, don't say, well, wait a minute, just give us um, a few hours, give us a few moments, and uh, we, we need to consult, we need to do a bit of research to, to really dig out information concerning this particular matter. They knew it. It just came out like that. It was at the finger of their tips. Historians tell us that many Pharisees and scribes actually memorized the entire Old Testament law. They knew it by heart. They would recite long passages of the Old Testament. These people knew the right and accurate answer or answers to the king's inquiry, to the king's question. And unfortunately and sadly, their accurate knowledge did not lead them to respond rightly to the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture has no record to show us that these people possibly rejoiced that they, they, they finally realized that there's, a, there's good news here. No, we don't have that in the scriptures. There's no record. There's no record either that these people went to visit him and they, they, they worshipped him in, in particularly in, in perhaps uh, a, a like manner that we see the wise people doing. Their religion was just some kind of an intellectual game, some kind of knowledge game, not something that drew them closer to God. A sad spiritual state of affairs, I would say. But connected to that is, is, is my second point here that these people were knowledgeable, yet, yet not right with God. On one hand, we're saying they did not respond rightly to this good news. On the other hand, we're saying that they were actually not right with God. Yet, they had so much knowledge about Christ, about God. 
thinking about this, uh, I want to say this, that many of us that a long time church members need to take heed here. Need to take heed lest we, we find ourselves in the same shoes as these Jewish religious leaders. Just like them, we know a lot. We know a lot about the scriptures. We know a lot about God. And possibly we have given a lot of right answers to, uh, to, to many other people in our Christian journey. And it is very, very easy to think that because we know the right answers, we are right with God. What am I saying? Simply this, that being knowledgeable about the truth does not necessarily mean that we are saved. A tough one, I would say. Again, thinking about this particular statement, the scripture about demons come to mind. Demons, in a sense, to paraphrase, know the right things about God. James 2.19 says this, you believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and they shudder. Satan and the demons know the right answers. In fact, they know more and better theology than any of us do. But they're not right with God. Their hearts are far away from God. It's a sober thought for the Christian to examine themselves whether they still in the Lord. But to my non-Christian friend, just because you, you, you know some detail, you have some knowledge of, of Christ connected to the Christmas story, doesn't mean that you, you are on the right path and you are heading to heaven. Just because you, as it were, know so much about Christianity and, and in a way you speak the Christian language doesn't mean that you are a child of God. Doesn't mean that you are saved. Came across a statement that a lot of people are going to meet heaven by six inches. Now, the six inches is, is measured as the, the distance between the head and the heart, implying, obviously, that we know so much about God and the scriptures, but this so much has not affected our hearts, has not changed our hearts. I 
dear friend, how has the knowledge you have, you have gotten about the Lord Jesus Christ helped you spiritually? Has this knowledge made you see your sinful state? Has it helped you to cry to God for forgiveness and acceptance in the family of God? Has it helped you to draw closer to God? Or has it made you proud? You have so much knowledge in your head that you are simply proud of the acquisition of that knowledge. And in the process, unknowingly rejected the Son of God. My last point under this main point, near yet far. Now I again did hint to this and comparing the distance the, the wise men traveled from wherever, assuming it's Babylon to, to Jerusalem, a very long distance. When we consider the distance between Jerusalem and Bethlehem, it's a fairly short distance. In fact, it is said that it is just about six miles. Now, six miles, that's uh, for the uh, British people. Uh, but this is simply an, about 9.7 kilometers, OK? And uh, perhaps, again, to put it in the context of uh, uh, our situation in Kitwe, it's probably a distance between uh, going to town and coming back, maybe further than that, eh? slightly further than that. So that distance. It's, it's a walkable distance, okay? Uh, if it is Odambambiko on his bike, I think he will do it maybe in two minutes or so. <laughs> uh, uh, others that walk, uh, walk fast, or the runners will do it in a very short period of time. So it is, it is a walkable distance. And back then, uh, people would go to, from Bethlehem to uh, to to Jerusalem, where the temple was uh, supposed to be, even now, there's a fight about that in history. People would walk to the temple, and they would go there and do it's a bigger place, do some shopping, go back to Bethlehem, uh, and so on. It was an easy journey, or rather, it is an easy journey. Let me put it this way. It is an easy journey from Jerusalem to Bethlehem than it is from Babylon to Jerusalem. Six miles. Six miles and none of the religious leaders cared enough to go and verify the news that the long-awaited Messiah had been born near yet far away. Six miles from Jesus, six miles from salvation, six miles from forgiveness, six miles from eternal life. Busy with other things that these people considered more important than the good news of our Savior, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. So close, yet far away. Friends, you may be here today. And you have heard that only by coming to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and, and in faith will make you right with God. It's not whatever knowledge that you have, not the learning that you have received, the many years you have been attending church will make you right with God. Yes, it may be the means through which God will bring you to faith. Right now, someone in here who is not a child of God is very close to salvation and yet very far away. Will you ignore God's call? Perhaps it's a call that you have received many a time. And this is perhaps the hundredth time that you're hearing the call to salvation. Will you ignore God's call? May it not be said about anyone in here this morning, this afternoon, it's midday now, that they were close to salvation, yet they were not saved. You're not a Christian this morning. Cry to God for forgiveness. He, he will answer your genuine cry. And you will be declared right and righteousness, uh, righteous rather, before him. And may God help someone to just do that, to cry out to him in repentance and faith. A few concluding remarks. How have you responded to the gospel? You are not a child of God this morning. You have heard the gospel, perhaps not just now. You have heard it before. How have you responded to the gospel? How have you responded to this king, this savior of the world? Are you seeking him or have you sought him? like the wise men did. Do you hate and reject him like Herod did? Or do you know a lot about him and yet you continue to ignore his call to salvation? Like the religious leaders. I pray you will not remain close to salvation, yet far from it. Let us pray together. Our Father, we are grateful to you for opportunity yet again to just open the scriptures and seek to learn something of your goodness, something of your greatness, something that makes us right with you. We pray, Father, 
that you will bless these few words spoken upon each one of our hearts. To those that are your children, Lord, we pray that this will be weight that will awaken those that are in slumber, rejuvenate them, rekindle love, rekindle faith in their lives, and renew their zeal to do the things that you desire us to do. And for those that are not your children this morning, Lord, we pray that you'll be gracious to such and speak yet again in that still small voice, convicting them of their sin, drawing them to yourself, that they may know salvation found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask and pray all this in our Savior's name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you very much for your attention.